0: This is KMTT Kimitzion Tetzet Torah, and we're starting a another series of shiurim on Pekuayavot, a new series on Pekuayavot from Harav Moshe Tzaregim. The twelfth Mishnah in the first paragraph of Avos is a very well-known Mishnah. It of course introduces us to the two Talmudim of Shmaya and of none other than Hillel and Shammai. Perhaps, not even perhaps, one can state with certainty the most famous, duo, uh, most famous team listed in the first parak in Mishnah in Mishachas Avos. The most contrasting duo, the differences between Hillel and Shammai, based on all the stories recorded and there about them, certainly the positions they took. Um, historically, they weren't just individuals, but Shammai and Hillel founded academies of learning. They weren't even called yeshivas of Shammai and Hillel. They were based Shammai or based Hillel, which suggests that their traditions weren't just based in the academic world, but somehow these traditions, these different traditions, filtered out into... Overall life, overall existence, Beis Shammai, Beis Hillel, uh, the Gemara talks about the students of Hillel made a conscious decision to marry the students or the, the, the women of Shammai, even though they had a very well-known machlokus about Yibum. So it does suggest that the differences weren't just limited to the base Medrash and to the machlokus in about a no is obviously in about a about a topic, but that somehow there were cultures and, and, and communities that affiliated themselves with these differing traditions. So Mishnah days begins a series of three Mishnayos which describes statements authored by Hillel, and then there's one Mishnah describing statements offered by or authored by Shammai. Hillel's first statement is about iron Cohen. Mitalmidav shall disciples of Aharon. It's a very poetic way which Chazal employed to describe an individual who never met a person or, or someone who inspires them, but is able to absorb their legacy and their lifestyle so deeply and apply it, they're actually considered a disciple of that person. So, for example, the Gemar and Brachos describes someone who is koveh makom letzvilasa, who establishes a makom kavor for davening, is considered a Talmud of Avraham Avinu. He walks in the ways of Avraham Avinu, or the well-known Mishnah and Avos about a person who has an ayin tovah, a ruach nimucha, a nefesh shefela. low spirit, is humble, is generous. Eye is considered a disciple or a talmud of Avraham. In the reverse, someone who is stingy, someone who has an evil eye, someone who is arrogant, someone who is over is a disciple of Bilaam. So, this is a common phrase which Chazal employ, and it, it's a very very colorful, and it's a very. Um, powerful phrase, not just to learn a lesson from someone, but to learn a lesson from someone in your past that you've never met, but to learn that lesson so deeply, and to live that lesson so profoundly and constantly that you're actually a Talmud of someone you've never met, which reminds us that the Rebbe Talmud relationship in Judaism and Yiddish Guide is not just limited to interpersonal interaction, but can span generations. You look back to people in your past and you become so excited by the lifestyles they lived and the values which they professed that you can actually see yourself as a Talmud of that person. So Hillel was describing those who are Talmidim of Aharon HaKohen. Interestingly enough, he doesn't use the word Aharon HaKohen, which we so often describe Aharon by. He just describes Aharon because he's not describing Aharon's primary role which we normally associate with Aaron, the ceremonial ritual role to officiate over sacrifices in the base HaMikdash, to assist in avoda different to some of the personal traits which Aaron um, developed, personality traits and how he expressed those traits and, and the impact he had on so many people. Um, Aaron is a lover of peace, as a lover of human beings, Ohev Shalom, Birov Shalom, number one, Ohev Abrios, someone who loved human beings, Meqar Latara, was successful in attracting them towards Tara. And perhaps one could claim that this was the, the structure, the, the substructure of Aaron's personality which allowed him to be a Kohen and serves as a model for future Kohen because one of the great crimes of history is the abuse of power and the abuse of religious power. And there's no question the Kohen is vested with religious power. And what prevents that power from being abused, as it was by the sons of Eli in Sefer Shmuel, who clearly abused their power and exploited people. And it's the humility, it's the lover of other people, it's the sincerity to bring them closer to Torah that Aaron possessed on a personal level, which protected against the abuse of power that his title may have invited. So, it is interesting that Hillel does not describe him as Aaron Akkoi, but Aaron and it's also interesting that Hill doesn't say so, but you can sense parallels between Aaron Cohen and perhaps one of his greatest al him Hillel, who was known, or by his, again, some of the stories recited in his name and some of the positions he took as not just being a pragmatist to Shammai's idealism, learning how to make concessions in order to uh, accommodate a fallen reality, but also in his comings and goings, Shammai strikes us as someone who was much more rigid, perhaps. Um, although, interestingly enough, in the later Mishnah, Shammai talks about the need to embrace people, to smile. Perhaps for Shammai, that was, again, this may be reading too much into it, that was something that had to be stressed, for Hillel it was more natural. But we certainly have just two vignettes about Hillel, one situation in which the convert came to Shammai, wanted to Tara and Shammai was unable to orient himself to this strange request, because obviously to study Judaism takes more than 15 minutes, and he rejected his candidacy, and he'll ultimately embraced him, and was mekar him, and was able to help him enter the gates of Yiddishkeit, even though his request was perhaps uh, uh, inappropriate. Um, another story where we don't have the contrast between Hillel and Shema as much as just Hillel's largesse of personality where two people wagered that they could anger Hillel on Erev Shabbos and the person who took up the wager tried to pummel Hillel with pointless and, and really inane questions, insipid questions, and Hillel kept his, expo- his equilibrium and his uh, composure and and um, obviously the person lost the wager and it shows how humble Hillel was, how slow he was to anger so you see in the stories of Hillel and Shammai and also in some of their halachic positions where Hillel was able to paskin that you're allowed to and even commanded to alter the truth in order, to, in order to attend to and acknowledge personal sensitivities. If you enter a wedding and the kala isn't exactly attractive, you are allowed to and you should say some praise which isn't exactly authentic, accurate in order to That insulter was, Shammai was unwilling, unwilling and unable, but certainly unwilling to allow a lie to be spoken for Kabar Abriyah. So there certainly are trends that emerge based on the profiles of Hillel and Shammai in which Hillel certainly seems to not just have asserted the need to be a Talmud of Aaron or Kohen, but actually live that type of lifestyle. So this is Hillel's statement Hillel Omer, having me Tamidav Shal Aaron. Now, Perhaps the statement can be divided in two, maybe three, but let's divide it in two sections just for ease of, of analysis. The first section speaks about peace, Ohev Shalom, Verodev Shalom. The second section, I don't know if this year will allow describing that section as well, maybe in a subsequent year, Oev Sabrios, a person who is a lover of human beings, Umakarvan Latar. And that second section may or may not be divided in two, but certainly the first section, Ohev Shalom, the Rodev Shalom, that section certainly seems to share a lot in common, even though they're two different phrases, they both surround the value of Shalom. And the question is, before we even assess what Hillel is saying, or how Aaron operated, what is the difference between Ohev Shalom versus Rode Shalom? What does Rodev Shalom add that Ohev Shalom doesn't? The notion of Ohev Shalom and Rodev Shalom The concept of actually actively pursuing Shalom. And even using the word Rodav, which typically, interestingly enough, it's a bit of an oxymoron, because typically the word Rodav carries violent connotations. Halachically, a Rodav is a a murderer, is someone who stalks another individual. Um, Chazal speak about the difference between predatory animals and animals who are prey. Um, Rode versus Nirdaf, HaKadosh Baruch Hu prefers the Nirdafim, not the Rodefim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yuvakesh Esa Nirdav, Shalom, I mean, Shalom A-Loh writes, so the Pasak in Tehillim in Peraglami Bakesh Shalom Verathehu is actually taking a word that typically is anti-Shalom, and employing it in the purpose of Shalom, which just reminds us that Ridifa, chasing things, is, is just a, is both a mental attitude, and a level of exertion, and a level of commitment, and it can be used positively, and it could be distorted and perverted to negative use, and there really is no state of the human experience which really is evil. It's just a question of how we employ it. So even redifa, even chasing something, it a person chases peace, and that's seen as obviously a, a virtue. Um, but the, the the precedent of redifa shalom stems from that Pasuk and Tehillim, but what is really the difference between Ohev Shalom, and Rodev Shalom. So here there are three ideas that are expressed. I'll just amplify each, elaborate, but they're really expressed already by the Rishonim. Um, probably the earliest source is the Megish Tanchuma, the Parshish Vagish Beis, Mim um, Komcha, Viredof Acharav B'makom Achher. There's a geographic difference between Ahavas Shalom and Redifas Shalom. Um, it also appears in Avi's Rav Nason, Paragyud Beis, Redov Shalom, Me'ir Le'ir, Mikrach Le'krach, Umi Medina Le'Medina. So, the difference between Ohev Shalom, which would be more passive, more local, and Rodev Shalom, which would suggest greater effort, greater pursuit, physical uh, uh, migration, physical relocation. Rodev, Rodev is literally a runner, a chaser. It could be incremental, that's certainly the connotations of the mission of Ezevnasan, that Ridolf merely increments Ahava Shalom. Ahava shalom is Shalom is, is one level, and Rodev Shalom means even if, even if you're forced in the service of Shalom to travel, and that travel could be literal, that travel could be figurative, it could be a, a mental travel, pushing yourself to be creative, pushing yourself to, to greater resources, to greater investment. So this medrash doesn't really suggest a stark difference between Ahava Shalom and Rodev Shalom. It's almost as if Rodev Shalom is intensifying, is sharpening how much effort should be placed in the pursuit of Shalom, even to the point of Rediva. But it really isn't a contrast between the two. Whereas the medrash in Tanchuma does create, does suggest more of a contrast. Bakshehu komcha, Viridov acharav makom acher look for it in your local arena, and pursue it even in other places. What would the difference between local peacemaking and broader peacemaking be? Um, perhaps, as strange as it sounds, sometimes it's harder to create local peace because you're more part of the, the current context. And when you're more part of the current context, it's harder to you're not an objective outsider. So, could be it's not just an increment that that Rodev shalom in a different place is, is more of a challenge. If anything, sometimes it's easier to be a Rodev shalom as the Medrash Tanchuma suggests in a different place. Uh, sometimes it's easier to be a mediator if you're an outsider. If you're an insider, it's harder. So this Medrash Tanchuma, which assumes that Shalom is local and Rodev shalom is, is, is global or is a different location, may be inverting the, the, um, inverting the order of difficulty, that rotate Shalom elsewhere may be easier. Not just maybe be easier, but if it is easier, maybe more important. Maybe sometimes local Shalom may be more difficult to achieve. And if we should sideline yourself, if we'll just boomerang, if we'll just be counterproductive, but you can bring Shalom in different locations, and that would be something that you could try your hand at. Um, again, that's also assuming that it's literal. Um, there could be also a figurative read, for Bakshelim, um, Mikomcha, Veradov, achar and Makomacher, Mikomcha could be practical, Makomacher could be just a larger scale that a person has to be concerned, not just that his own house and his own community experience the Shalom, but that there's a global peace, that there's a global harmony. Um, sometimes today, those movements that are interested in global equations, global peace, global ecology, global economy, global rights, Sometimes there's an abrasive tone to these movements that tends to alienate or that tends to um, disenfranchise people, uh, certainly Jews, maybe even religious Jews, and sometimes those positions are staked by hyper-liberals, and they're in place of religion, they're in place of morality. Sometimes the more universal the equation, the more that classic codes of morality are obscured or eroded, and... Sometimes we feel that there is a dissonance between those platforms and our own platform, and a mission like this can remind us that there really isn't an inherent dissonance, isn't an intellectual dissonance, it's just that sometimes the proponents of those movements speak in place of religion, or as a substitute for religion, and sometimes anti-religion, and we have to disassociate ourselves with the actual movements, we can't disassociate ourselves with the platforms. And in Israel, in a slightly different context, but a related one, unfortunately, the religious establishment has ceded the platform of social justice and social welfare and rights of, of the vulnerable, that has been ceded to the left-wing parties, so that we immediately associate the left-wing parties as those who carry the flag of social justice and social welfare and social consciousness, and really that's very much part of a religious person's platform, and to be careful that we don't abdicate the platform just because the most vocal proponents are those whose value systems so harshly differ with their own. So this is one dichotomy between Ohay Shalom and Rodei Shalom based on, again, a Medish Tanchumen Vayishlach Simenchav Beis, and a Mishnan Avos Perigid Beis, which each of them are different, nuanced differences, but are different in how they dissect or distinguish between Ahav Shalom and Redif Shalom. Um, the Me'iri provides a, a very, very intriguing difference between Ahav HaShalom and Redif HaShalom, according to the Me'iri, Ahav HaShalom in this parish, to of Israel of Shalom is social. The person looks at his world, at his society, at his friends, and desires peace, covets peace, harmony, healthy interactions, Rodev Shalom, he feels, is Be'atzmo, in his own, Be'iskei Atzmo in Adam. Presumably, the, the, the assumption of the miri is that these don't always go hand in hand. There could be people who on a personal level are Rodev Shalom, in their own interactions and comings and goings, but are unable or unwilling to be agents of Shalom in a social setting. We've seen that before. It could be, a person could Pursue Shalom for very pragmatic, uh, even sometimes manipulative purposes, just to prove his standing and his reputation. But not be someone who fundamentally loves peace and is able to promote peace um, among other people. Um, conceivably, conceivably, the reverse is also true. There are those who would be agents of social harmony and, and, and social welfare and well-being amongst people. But the personalities, it would be harder to imagine, but in theory their personalities are so harsh and are so inflexible and so contentious when it comes to their own interactions. I mean, obviously there's there are people who are just hypocrites who speak of peace and are able to put on a face of, of, of any trait and not necessarily live those traits in their own personal lives. But this is not just hypocrisy, this is compartmentalized peacemaking, where some people are able to be agents of peace. Um whether in a formal sense, therapists, or in an informal sense, just to help uh, crisis resolution, crisis mediation. But they themselves are always embroiled in controversy. I'm not sure myself, in my own mind, how this happens and where this stems from and how exactly a person can arrive. I'm sure many people listening to this year can connect some of those dots, people they've met or situations that they've encountered. But according to Miri, this duplication of Ohev Shalom and Rodev Shalom is alerting us to two very, very different modalities of peacemaking. Peacemaking amongst communities and, and people and families and others, and, and you being an agent of peacemaking, and peacemaking amongst yourself and in your own world. The Rebbeinah Yonah says something much more subtle, but uh, maybe even more basic, perhaps I should have started with this, that Oish Shalom is just someone that values it internally. Rodei Shalom is someone that actively promotes it. Um, again, I think the two are independently linked. It could be someone who obviously values but doesn't promote it. They're lazy, they're inactive, they're unempowered. Similarly, you could have someone that empowers people but doesn't really value it internally. And then, as I alluded to before, some of that facilitation may be professional, may be precalculated, may be for ulterior motives, but isn't really lishmas. So we would say for the sake of Ahavashalam. Uh, so. It is before we talk about how Aaron exactly pursued it and what his agenda was. It's interesting to note that Hillel articulated, "Oheiv Shalom" and Rodev Shalom" as two very, very different, um, two very different approaches, two very different elements of peacemaking. Um, the assignment of Aaron as an Oheiv Shalom. And they wrote Shalom" stems from a pasuk in Malachi, paraphrase which describes the idealized type of kohen. And in, in pasuk Vav, the the uh, the navi writes you Halach iti. He walked with me in peace and in straightness, Mishar, Misharim. Heshiv Me'avon and many were deterred from chayt, which speaks to the second part of his statement, which, as I prepare the year as I deliver the year it seems to be more and more elusive for the time constraints of this shir. Um, maybe the next year we'll talk about it, Be'ezus Hashem. But the second part of that Pasuk in Malachi doesn't just speak about Aaron's peacemaking skills, but Aaron's ability to reroute individuals back to religion, back to Torah, or away from chayt at the very least. doesn't say towards Torah, but away from chayt. But that's the Pasuk which serves as the source of this assignment of Hillel. We don't really see Iron as a peacemaker. Um, truly, the only time we see Iron as a peacemaker is when his peacemaking could be questioned, and that's the the uh, episode of the Ege Hazav where he tries to create, uh, tries to calm down, and tries to resolve and mediate, and by all accounts, it seems to blow up in his face. I mean, we can try to justify, we could try to defend, but the the global view from ten thousand feet up is that this was a, this is a mistake and a mistake that led to great tragedy. So it's really the Pasak in Malachi which carries the day for Hillel at the level of Sukkim. Obviously, there are um, other sources. Um, for example, the fact that when uh, when Aaron died, so it says, "Va'yifguz Aaron kol Sisra, the entire people mourned for Aaron thirty days. When Moshe dies, it says Bnei Yisrael. Then they call Bnei Yisrael because obviously Moshe, who already the Gemara and Sanhedrin holds up as an opposite to Iron or Cohen. It's not just the contrast between Hill and Shammai, It's almost a, a renewed, a renewed dichotomy, the dichotomy that already existed between Iron and Moshe. The Gemara and Sanhedrin, that bottom and base, speaks about making concessions, what we would call legal mediation. Should you issue verdicts that are conclusively, conclusively. Um, awarding of one and uh, that's the word I'm looking for, not awarding, but um, indicting of the other, or should you tilt your legal verdicts towards what halacha knows as pshara, towards a compromise, 50-50, 70-30 and by and large we posse in that pshara is an ideal and throughout the generations Jewish courts and Jewish din have attempted to at the very least assign pshara as a goal. But there are dissenting opinions in like Amar Sanhedrin. For example, Rabbi Yezir, the son of Yosef Lili, said, Sanhedrin, that it's forbidden to seek Abshar, because it is a distortion of the truth. And he cites, at least, Moshe Rabbeinu, who, in Devarim Paragalev speaks about that arriving at mishpat, arriving at justice, arriving at truth, mishpat, that is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will, and that is a manner in which human beings are able to imitate and to duplicate HaKadosh Baruch Hu's interest. But then the Gemara continues, that was Moshe's approach, Aval Aro, and here there's echoes of Hillel, and perhaps this Gemara was written in the wake of Hillel's statement in Adam, uh, Lachaveru, And he quotes the Pasuk in Malachi, the end of the In terms of how Aaron Akohen was able to create an environment of peace and havashalom, so the Gemara already, actually it's of Nasan, tells a story which may seem a little bit quaint, may seem a bit um, unattainable in a more complex and certainly charged environment. But this is what Abbas Rav describes it. When Aharon um, would witness people who were fighting, who were engaged in a dispute, so he would visit each of them, and he would convince each of them how sad, how pained, how traumatized his colleague, his opponent was. And after appeasing each and convincing each about how sorry, how pained, how disappointed each of the other, the other dispute was, when those two enemies would see each other having been convinced that the other party wanted conciliation, reconciliation was conciliatory, they would immediately hug each other and kiss each other. It seems a little quaint, it seems a little bygone era to people involved in very serious argument, very serious and bitter feud it seems a bit strange that such techniques and such tactics would be effective to go to Ruben and tell Reuven how sad Shimon is, how much Shimon wants to reconcile, go to Shimon and tell Reuven, uh, go to Shimon and tell him about Reuven, go to Reuven and tell him about Shimon. It would seem like the, the actual method would be ineffective and maybe even disingenuous and, and may even backfire. But the general attitude, the general spirit of interest in conciliation and efforts to try to soften opposition, to try to reduce the decibel level, to try to highlight the good in uh, an individual who someone sees as an enemy, as, as a hated person. Those subtle efforts. And certainly, as I mentioned earlier, not just the radif shalom, but a radif Hashanah, which is steeped in Ava Shalom. So often, arguments, contention, disputes excite us, attract us. Uh, they're, they're more exciting to speak about, to witness. Uh, they bring, I say this uh, sarcastically, they bring color and, and interest to it otherwise boring life. Peace and prosperity, and welfare and harmony are so boring. And so often they have dominated our cultural interest. Uh, certainly the last 10 years, the last 15 years, the evolving or emerging predominance of reality shows many of which put people in stressed or strained situations just to see feuds erupt and, and bitterness rage. And comedy, when it's a comedy of aggression, and comedy of, of creating hate and ill no will, or um, so people call them shock jocks, people who will say things that are intentionally provocative to create a scandal, to create um, disunity. Those are certainly areas that run counter to Aaron Cohen's portrait, and in particular to this description of someone who dearly, dearly sought peace, pursued peace, and made efforts to bridge the gaps between disputants, between those who anger and rage, contentiousness and disagreement had separated. So this is really the first part of Hillel's profile of Aaron O'Mirtz I'll have the opportunity to describe the second part. It's based on the Pasuk in Halachi, B'Shalom over Halachiti. In ways, it's an autobiography of Hillel, so that's what makes it so poignant. Moshe had to play his role, obviously. Aaron had to play his role. It's not that we should all line up to celebrate Aaron and Chalizah <laughs> to excoriate Moshe Rabbeinu. It's necessary to have that balance. Someone that pursues truth, someone that doesn't fudge or doesn't uh, mince his words, but provides people with that stark sense of the way things should be. Even if it's unpopular and Moshe suffered, not just in his death and the limited mourning and eulogies, but through his life. And it's clear how he suffered because of the positions he took. He wasn't afraid to take positions. But it's the portrait of Aaron that Hillel wants to strike and accentuate the Oyev Shalom and the rod Shalom.